whenever we have exogenous events, things that we don't really fully understand, one of the best ways I have found to deal with that is to basically lower your risk and to lower your risk substantially with the intent to reinvest as you assess the environment. Welcome to the Market Call Show, where we discuss what's happening in the markets and the impact on your investments. Tune in every Thursday on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Market Call Podcast. This is Lewis Giannis. I was talking with my team today, and they said they really wanted me to talk to you about a recent email that we sent to our clients. And the email was basically talking about why we're making certain investment choices and certain strategies right now in today's environment. And I'm just going to read it to you. And then I thought maybe I can expand upon it so that you could maybe get a little color as to how I'm thinking about the current environment, what types of strategies I'm taking right now, and maybe some ways that you can improve your process as well. Good morning. I wanted to inform you about how we are assessing the banking crisis in our nation and the economic developments about inflation, rising interest rates, and the recent decline in stock prices. There is quite a bit of uncertainty about the status of smaller banks in America and the economy at large. The effects of vast amount of liquidity injected in our financial system for a prolonged period of time combined with loose fiscal policy and the response of global governments to COVID has led to many imbalances and may have spurred other geopolitical risks, such as the conflict with Russia and China. These factors combined with higher valuation multiples compared to earnings, sales, and cash flow have many investors concerned. Historically, during a period of change such as today, the investment landscape is more volatile and opportunities require a balance of selectivity, diversification, and a wider toolkit to earn reasonable returns. Because the banking system is so intertwined in our economy, I have made a judgment call to protect our investors at WealthNet Investments while we assess the environment. As of this morning, 3-15-2023, I have liquidated all stock positions in client accounts that are invested in the prime portfolios that invest in individual equities. So that's a particular type of clients' uh, accounts that we manage. Uh, while we assess the best opportunities going forward, for those clients that have been working with me for many years, you may recognize this strategy. I took similar actions during the COVID outbreak, the Great Recession of 2008, 2009, and the dot-com bubble crisis. This approach has served us well as we redeploy capital in a rational manner given the new environment. This allows us to have a clear slate to reinvest and focus attention on an ongoing basis. It is our intention to reinvest as soon as the supply and demand of the market stabilize and the outlook for new leadership is clear. We will be focusing our sights on protecting your capital while seeking opportunities for growth for your money. Thank you for being a client. We look forward to serving you for many years to come. Okay, so why did I read the whole thing? I just wanted you to have a context of what I have been thinking and how 
Whenever we have exogenous events, things that we don't really fully understand, one of the best ways I have found to deal with that is to basically lower your risk and to lower your risk substantially with the intent to reinvest as you assess the environment. Now, some people will think, well, why would you do that? Because you might be making the move uh, at a market bottom or something like that. Well, this is true, that can happen. But if you have the right process, which I'm gonna talk a little bit about, this cannot hurt you or is not likely to hurt you because you are actually using a discipline of allocating capital, which is kind of like the show me type of a strategy. In other words, you're putting money in those areas where the market is show, showing you that it is in fact moving in the right direction, in your direction. So in other words, you don't wanna be just buying on the hope, you don't wanna be investing with hope. Uh, fundamental analysis, which is the assessment of what the underlying economics are of various investments, is very, very important, but it is also incomplete because we're working with incomplete, flawed information in the marketplace, no matter how you look at it. It's always been that way. It will always be that way. So one of the ways that I have found to be very effective is to first understand that whenever you have large exogenous events that are happening, like we're seeing today, you're more vulnerable for black swan events. You're more vulnerable for events that you're not fully seeing. And you can sense it in the markets. You can see it with the dislocation in the way that markets are, are responding. And so that is one of the main reasons why uh, I have taken that approach. So it doesn't mean that you sell out and you are fe fearful. No, what it means is you open your eyes and you look at how things are developing. Now, since that time, we've learned more information, right? We've learned information about how the banking system was, how the Fed is going to respond to the banking situation. We've learned more about which banks are having problems. And interesting, interestingly enough, there are more banks that are having problems than were initially disclosed. We're also learning that the response to what the Fed is doing can have significant implications to loosening credit, uh, even though there's a lot of pressures to, for credit to be tightened. So it's a, it's a very interesting environment that we're in. So I made a little outline of how I wanted to talk to you about this. First, again, we're more in, in a vulnerable state for negative surprises right now, in my opinion. Uh, markets do bottom when you have, uh, stock markets, I should say, do bottom when you have a lot of uncertainty. But usually that typically happens when there's a lot of negative uh, sentiment and when you have valuations, you know, basically the prices that you invest in compared to sales and earnings and all of that, you usually see those more attractive. Right now, we do not see attractive valuations. So the status of the small banks, and this is my take on it, uh, basically the rising interest rate environment lowers the value of the treasuries that are on the balance sheet for these banks. Uh, some banks did um, have more exposure to, ne to negative uh, losses in owning treasuries than others. So it's not equal across all the banks, but there are many banks that are exposed to losses in the treasury market because of rising interest rates. Uh, the banks have less opportunity now to lend, which means that the volume of lending is less and the spread between the loan rates, how much they can make on their assets from loans and the payout rate to deposits could be less. 
So the banking system may have some, the banking system may have more problems. And if you've studied economics, you know that the money supply is related to the volume of credit and the velocity of money is, money is related to that. And it affects a lot of different things. Another thing that's happening is we have what's called disintermediation. This has happened before. I remember when I first heard the term disintermediation, which is a fancy word for saying that investors bypass the banks and put money in other places uh, and uh, that hurts the banks. Disintermediation is when people uh, write, like in today's environment, they're investing in shorter term treasury bills instead of the bank deposits because the shorter term treasury bills are approaching 5% right now. So, and bank, bank deposits may not be paying out that much. Most bank deposits aren't paying out that much. So smaller, less stable banks uh, will likely continue to do what I had anticipated and forecasted they will do, which was to sell assets to other stronger banks. Now, uh, looking back in prior times, this is something that has happened um, many times before. We have uh, banking crises like this. So uh, you're going to see some instability. There will be some firms that are affected by this. Um, housing prices also have slowed. So we're now just now starting to see the year over year slowing in prices for housing. And so it could get worse from here potentially, which can lower consumer confidence and the flexibility of US households to deal with higher debt levels that we're currently seeing, which would eventually lower, potentially lower consumer consumption and empl uh, employment. You might see corporations continue to lay off, which could uh, slow things down even more. So these are all things that we need to be aware of, and we need to not listen to what uh, politicians are saying. We need to look at the data because uh, politicians are going to tell you that everything is fine and dandy. Uh, I, I just generally do not want to look at what they're saying. I want to look at what the data says. So there's been a vast, you know, I just back up a little bit and talk about why are we here? Well, we've been putting, as you know, a vast amount of liquidity injecting into the financial system for a very prolonged period of time. I've made podcasts about that. I've shown lots of charts about that. Um, you know, uh, people say, well, you know, it's worked before. It's going to always work, right? Well, that combined with loose fiscal policy at some point becomes a big problem. And right now we're getting to the point where there's a lot of wondering about when are we going to start teetering to where this problem is going to become really an issue uh, because a big part of our spending now at the government level is just servicing debt. And it's a compounding effect. It's almost like a cancer. As it starts growing, at some point, it's hard to stop it from growing. So this is a real problem that we're running up against. We have a lingering effect right now from the global economy, uh, the government responses to, to COVID worldwide, those have created a lot of imbalances, right? Now we're kind of, some of them are short-term transitory, but as we can see, the Fed was wrong. The Fed said that that uh, inflation was transitory. We are now seeing that that's not the case. So if you look at the response of what the Federal Reserve is doing right now, the Federal Reserve is basically lending more money to the banking system so that they can cover their losses this is like a quantitative easing, real easing, but it's in a different way. It's a different, different term. Now there's a lot of sugar coating as to what's going on, but this is stimulative activity. Now it's potentially something that could exacerbate inflation. It really depends on how banks respond and how the the uh, legislators respond and the, the Federal Reserve how they respond. Because if this money that is being inject injected into the system turns into credit 
then we could have an expansionary mode in the, the money supply again. I don't think that that's probably going to happen. Uh, but if credit uh, uh, availability lowers, this is not good for the economy. And given the fact that we are sitting at high valuations in the in the equity markets, and interest rates could go up from here, uh, then uh, you know that could cause some problems. Now, let me. I would like to differentiate between between the short term and the long term, or the longer term, I should say. In the short term, what is happening right now could actually lower interest rates. We saw a big reversal in interest rates uh, as we started understanding what's happening with these banks, right? Because the thought is, hey, maybe the Fed can't raise rates anymore because they've hit the wall. They've hit the uncle point where they can't raise anymore. I think there's some truth to that. But like times like this before under Volcker, what you have is a scenario where if you continue to do use the same types of strategy by printing money, basically, to do to deal with the, the situation, you create future inflation. Maybe you have a decline in interest rates and inflation short term, but the next bout of inflation goes to a higher high than the previous one. We have some risk in our economy that that could be happening. It doesn't happen all in one year. It's a multiple year process. And if you go back at really long-term charts and look at interest rates and inflation rates, you'll see that happening. You know, The inflation rate initially goes up off of those lows that we had for a long, long time in inflation. Then they come down as we have you know, problems and conflicts in the system. And then the Fed responds again with printing more money than the inflation rate skyrockets. It did that in three big waves, uh, you know, uh, before Volcker says, we're going to crack down on inflation for good. Now, we don't know the mindset of uh, the Fed, whether or not they're going to actually get to that point. They're kind of talking like they, they really want to just break the back of inflation. If they do, no matter how you look at it, it can be a painful event. But here is the very good news about this. If you go back and you look at the period of time when this is this type of thing has happened before, there were lots of opportunities in individual equities. There was lots of opportunity for growth because that doesn't necessarily kill innovation. You know, government policies and regulations can kill innovation more than, than just the inflation. Inflation can be devastating, don't get me wrong. But you can definitely have really amazing investment opportunities. And with everything that's going on with AI and all the changes in technology, there's definitely some things that are brewing and percolating under the system, even or under the surface, including clean energy. You know, the 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 idea that we could just switch, a, you know, make a quick fix to uh, get rid of oil and go to clean energy is 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 pie in the sky. Everybody who's serious about this understands that. But we could have a long term trend in clean energy. There's there's lots of other areas. Uh, semiconductors uh, are breaking out. So in this environment. We raise a lot of cash, and we're and we're deliberately and methodically moving into the new leadership. One thing that I want to point out is that whenever you have these types of events, the new leadership is always. Oh, I can't think of a time when it was not this case. It was. It's always a different group of companies that are the new leaders. It's not the past leaders. So this is something that was brought up by the great uh, William O'Neill, who started Investors Business Daily. Well, I think that's one of the co major contributions to his. Um, books and his work is leadership changes every business cycle, every market cycle. And we're probably in a position right now where the leadership is going to be vastly different. And when you look at the charts and you look at the supply and demand uh, technical analysis of the markets right now, you could see smaller companies percolating up. And as this change happens, 
you know, there's those new opportunities where you can allocate capital. So what we're doing right now is we're just deploying capital as we see it. We've actually bought some gold stocks, for example. Uh, now, does that mean you should go out and buy gold stocks? No, not necessarily. I'm just telling you what we are doing. We've gone out and we bought some semiconductor stocks, but we don't own the entire market as a whole. We're going to start, we are starting to move our way into the markets uh, as we see fit. So here's, here's the thing that I want to also point out. The solution to this type of environment is to first and foremost get a portfolio analysis. Analyze your portfolio, and you have to improve certain things, in my opinion. Number one, the diversification is really important. You want to have uh, more diversification in your portfolio. You want to attack the risks and reduce them. So whatever risks are in your portfolio right now, attack them straight on and reduce them. The great Tom Basso uses the term attacking risk, or the phrase attacking risk. I love that phrase. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use it. <laughs> uh, you want to attack the risks that are in front of you, and you want to deploy capital only in those investments that are showing improved supply and demand characteristics. You want to have dry powder, i.e. treasury bills, money that's liquid that you can redeploy. You want to have a wider strategic toolkit that is different than the traditional 60% stock, 40% bond. And I want to unpack that just a little bit. So you want to employ strategies where you're following trends that are non-correlated and non-correlated assets, stocks, bonds, commodities. Don't forget commodities. Don't forget currencies. Um, the other thing is you might want to be long and short. Uh, there's lots of research that shows that if you don't have the ability to short, you don't have an optimal portfolio because you just basically can have higher rate of return per unit of risk if you have the ability to be both long and short. Um, you want to also diversify the strategies instead of just saying, I'm, I'm taking, I'm just a value manager. Like it's almost like a religion for some people. I'm a value manager. I'm the next Warren Buffett or I'm the, I'm a growth manager and I'm the next, uh, William O'Neill or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I don't believe in that. I believe that it's better for you to have a diversified strategy set where you're looking at trend following. You can have, be, have growth. You could have value. You also want to have mean reversions when market gets when markets get choppy and they move sideways. You want to have some investments that can do well during that environment. You want to have growth oriented and value oriented. You want to diversify your time frame. You want to have long term and you want to have shorter term because sometimes the markets move in long, nice trends and sometimes they move in shorter, volatile trends. So diversification of time frame, diversification of instruments that you invest in, diversifications of style really all important. It's not something, when you get into this environment, these are not the types of environments where you just want to say, I'm a certain religion. It's almost like, again, like some form of a religion, uh, even cult-like. So um, rather than just thinking inside the box, it's time to think outside of the box. And so this is generally what has been on my mind uh, and what we've been doing here at WealthNet. Now, um, if you want to get a second opinion, by the way, just feel free to get in touch with us. You can do that. You can go to our website, wealthnetinvest.com, click on the schedule a call button, and you can have a conversation with us, and we'll do a portfolio review. We're doing that for people with accounts of $1 million or more uh, because we know that we can give you more advice there. Um, for If you have a smaller portfolio than that, I highly recommend reading my book, the uh, I don't know if you've heard about my book, but I have a book called The Financial Freedom Blueprint. You can go to pathtorealwealth.com 
and we'll send you some other goodies along with it. Pathtorealwealth.com and then pick up a copy of my book. We'll send that out to you. So think about these things. Maybe something can help you here with this particular uh, podcast to give you some ideas about how you should be looking at your portfolio. I guess the last thing I want to mention to you is please uh, comment, give us your comments on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel, click the little bell to get notifications when a new one's coming out. We have a lot of great interviews already being lined up right now, new guests in the coming weeks that I think you're going to get a lot from. So stay tuned with us. And as always, thank you for joining me today. For the latest episode of The Market Call Show, make sure to like, subscribe, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Go to marketcallshow.com for all our past episodes and sign up to get alerts for new episodes. If you enjoyed the content of this episode, please leave us a five-star review and comments. The information in this podcast is informational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. WealthNet Investments is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where WealthNet Investments and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure.